Welcome to Strictly Business, Variety's weekly podcast featuring conversations with industry leaders about the business of media and entertainment. I'm Cynthia Littleton, business editor for Variety. Today, my guest is Nicole Clemens, president of Paramount Television Studios. Nicole has expanded Paramount's television activity since she took the reins of the division in September 2018. The company was gearing up for four prominent series launches right as the pandemic shutdowns hit in March. Nicole discusses the triage that went into getting the series launches squared away and the painful process of shutting down series and pilots that were in production or about to shoot. She also talks about the juggling act of managing a growing portfolio of series at a time when deal-making varies so widely by platform. And Nicole reflects on her previous experiences as an executive at FX, a producer for anonymous content, and an agent at ICM, and how they have all coalesced into helping her in her current role at Paramount Television. Nicole Clemens president of Paramount Television Studios. Thank you so much for joining us here over Zoom. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. Uh, We appreciate you taking some some time out. Obviously, everybody's working from home, but that certainly doesn't mean that you're not busy. And, you know, as just as as time and circumstance would have it, just as the pandemic shutdown started to hit in March, you were right in the, you know, you were right in the zone of about to launch for you know, really significant new projects for your company. Um, and we'll talk about each of those in a, in a little more detail because you are working with a really interesting microcosm of, you know, of, the, of all the diversity of networks and platforms that is in the industry. But um, tell me kind of just generally, how, and you, how have you and your team adapted to the work from home mandate, doing so much remotely? What's it been like? Well, the first couple of weeks were just triage of dealing with um, putting shows on hiatus. And that was just, it was, you know, sort of constant nonstop. And then now we've eased into development and it's cranking. I can't believe how busy we are. I mean, I think writers are home and they're focused and they're turning around material really quickly and people are selling. We've been Zoom pitching to networks. We sold a show, you know, it's, it's, I wouldn't say it's business as usual because in between that, I'm washing about a thousand dishes and I don't know. <laughs> Have you had any situations of, you know, uh, content launches that were tied to other events? Have there been any disruptions, oh, any yeah. significant disruptions in the rollout plans of your series? Well, we had Home Before Dark and Defending Jacob both on Apple that all of our in-person press, premieres, everything, you know, um, Paradise Lost also affected. Uh, the good news is, is that, you know, everybody rallied and pivoted. And I feel like it ultimately, I mean, you know, yes, we didn't get to have the actual physical party to celebrate, but all of the cast, I mean, across the industry, everybody has really like jumped in to, to adjust to this new normal. And I feel like the, the show's both got great uh, pushes. I mean, Defending Jacob launches on Friday, so we'll see. But I feel good about everything I'm seeing so far. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, you have, you know, more than a dozen other sh- other shows on your roster. So you must have had things that were in production that had to shut down quickly and unexpectedly. Yes. Yeah, we had, let's see, we had three shows that we got put, that were put on hiatus that were in the middle of shooting. Um, 
and we have delayed production. We had a pilot that was literally, we had just been at the table read in New Orleans, we're flying home, and then that Monday we, we shut down. Um, so that went on. We had a, a pilot at Quibi, or not a pilot, but a series at Quibi, Varsity Blues, that was about to start shooting in the next couple of days, and that shut down. Um, we had, uh, it was a little farther out, but we had a pilot for USA that was shooting that now is delayed. Mm-hmm. We, you know, we should have been shooting Jack Ryan in June. So yeah, right. a, lot, a lot of stuff. What is the hardest part from a business, from a financial standpoint, what is the hardest part about a quick unex, uh, unexpected shutdown? Is it just the cost of, you know, putting everything in storage and having people that are on the payroll expecting to get paid all of a sudden in limbo? What, from a, from a, like a production management standpoint, what do you find is the hardest? Well, look, I, I would say my production team did an unbelievable job, but it, you know, it's the, it's the immediate shutdown costs. Um, it's also, you have to factor in um, restarting, right? And we right. also don't know how long this is going to be. So it's adjusting for every single deal across various categories and what that looks like. And I mean, it was, it was a phenomenal, I mean, we have shut down shows before, but we'd never shut down every show in one week. (laughs) It was an amazing, um, it was an amazing drill and to see all of our teams and it brought us really close, but like literally figuring it out as we went along because it affects business affairs. It affects physical production. As you're right, it affects like, do you fold and hold a stage? Do you, are we, you know, and now we are, we're all down and we're now sitting and waiting and thinking like, we don't know when we're going to come up, where we're going to come up. Will we need to make a location change? Every, you know, various deals across shows for actors will be affected. Yeah. Um, and schedules, I got to believe. And schedules. And look, the thing is, is that unlike a shutdown when the whole world isn't shut down, it's not that someone's taking another job in the meantime, right? What you hope is right. that your band wants to get back together the second we can get up. And our intention is to, and our partners have signaled the same, that everybody, as soon as we can, wants to get going and get back you know, get back on, on the, on the, on the schedule. So, you know, it's, there's a weird sort of solace knowing that every single person is in the same boat. Nicole, you've been, you've been at Paramount, heading Paramount Television Studios since September of 2018. Tell me about the kind of the scope of the team that you've put together. You know, when I got there, um, they certainly, there were like a lot of great shows going, but it was a much smaller division. And I, I think my, my approach and my intent was to scale, to diversify the business model, um, and to you know look for opportunities for for margin. And so I um, and in expanding the team, um, you know I hired a number two. There had not been a number two in development. Um, Jenna Santoyani, who's fantastic, and then we hired uh, Cheryl Bosnick to run uh, a current department, which had not existed of that date because we had plenty of shows that needed to be taken care of on the ongoing side. And, um, you know, and we've, gosh, I think it's been in the last, a lot since, well, I guess since I've started, it's been about 13 new hires across the exec ranks. So it's, it's been a pretty decent expansion. And then on the show front, you know, we increased the pipeline, which we count as show series ordered on air, ordered or in production by about 40%. And then our development, which are, you know, which is most of it is script to series kinds of uh, development situation more than doubled in the last. And so we've had like nine series orders 
and seven series renewals. So it's been, it's been really busy, really productive. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about two of your drama series that you have launching with Apple TV Plus, Home Before Dark and Defending Jacob. Can you talk about the appeal for a studio such as yours as working with a streamer like Apple on series on series of this of this genre and type? Well, I mean Apple's the 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 deal structure at Apple is a cost plus model. So um that is look, it's it's fantastic in terms of working with Apple at this point in time with them launching, they're really putting a lot of attention into each show. They're not in a volume business. They're in a very sort of specialized business. So it's, it, you feel like every, each show is very curated and really important to them. Mm-hmm. Are these in, in, in these deals with Apple, are these worldwide or are you yes. able to take these? Around? No, the, all of the, every Apple deal is a worldwide rights deal and they launch, um, they launch day and date, all over the world. So just pretty exciting in terms of, in terms of your viewership, but that's a big part of a part of the draw in terms of exposure. Um, you know, you mentioned um, Paradise Lost, which is a show that um, premiered for us on uh, Spectrum Originals. And that's a show where Charter takes the first window and then Paramount Network nine months later will take the second window. And in that case, the studio holds some international. And so we'll sell the international on that. So completely right. on the other end of the spectrum, we have streetlights, uh, when the streetlights go on that, uh, launched on Quibi with their launch. And that, that's been, um, that's been really interesting, you know, in terms of Quibi being designed for people on the go. Right. And, and having, you know, but we, uh, we know we don't have the streamers and, Quibi included don't share specific data, but the feedback that we've had has been great on, on our shows so far. So we'll take I, that. I was curious if Quibi was going to break that mold, but I kind of, I think, I think that mold has probably been set. Nope. Uh-huh. So in, in a way it is interesting. I mean, these are in all these situations in, in kind of a cost plus model, not for Paradise Lost with Spectrum Originals, but in a cost plus model, you kind of, you know, you know what your, you know what your upside is going in. So yes. you manage that within yeah. and, you know, for, for you, I mean, it, for you guys, it seems like you have, you know, you have a fair amount of activity in that range. You know, you add things up, big, big pieces of business like Jack Ryan, and, you know, other high profile shows, you add that up and it becomes, it becomes a nice portfolio. It's good. We've tried to, I mean, streaming, I had said to somebody, we're like the bonds of the portfolio. There's really no risk, but it's capped upside, right? right. right. So you definitely want them and they're fantastic. And they're, and each individual platform has its own, you know, um, sensibilities and, and ways of dealing. But I think that the, you know, the idea of being able to have some shows with some major upsides so you can hit a home run is, you know, obviously something we'd love to achieve. And so, you know, we, we haven't been, our, our, our bread and butter is not in broadcast television, um, which isn't to say that we don't do some, but our sister company, CBS Studios, does that to a much larger degree. But this year we have a pilot at Fox um, that is, you know, Melissa Leo starring in, and uh, Philip Noyce is directing, and it's fantastic. It, it's like House, right? It's fan- it's just one of those ones that you think like this one could go all the way. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's totally different. That's a deficit. You're deficiting the pilot, and you're rolling the dice. And you know, doing that with Fox, 
with FBC in particular is, you know, they're now studio lists in terms of you're not sitting there like you would be at right. say, or ABC as an outside studio competing against all of these other pod deals or studios that have an agenda to fill the pipeline. So you're really like trying to win, you know, get the winning lottery ticket for a half of a slot. Right. So it's a much better risk doing um, a pilot for us with FBC in this scenario. Right. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, and it seems like um, it it is a true, like people say, it's a true portfolio approach. You Mm -hmm. have your bonds, you have a couple of, you know, you have a couple of, a a couple of bets. And um, I would imagine also from a, you know, from a standpoint of the kind of creative people that you can attract, you know, people don't always want to be in one lane. You want to have a, you want to have a little more, a little more diversity there. And, and it is interesting at this time, you know, whether it's Quibi or FBC, there are a lot of, of new or new-ish entities coming in with different, how was it? We've been loving HBO Max, for example, because they are doing really high budget shows and they're giving huge license fees, but you're still holding international. So you're sort of getting, in that case, the best of both worlds in terms of um, a very low, very, very low deficit and then huge potential for upside. Mm-hmm. So they, they came on the scene right as it sort of looked as if everything was going to shut down and then they showed up. So it's, you know, it ebbs and flows. So, you know, I, look, well, who knows? <laughs> who knows what the landscape's going to look like? Right, right now it is hard. What was it like? Was it, did you have to adjust it all to produce for Quibi? on their, you know, their specs and standards of 10 minutes and the whole thing adding up to well, there was an the, hour? There was the development process, which the writers adapted to really easily and form sort of follow function in terms of knowing that you needed to have those 10 minute kind of cliffhanger uh, spots. And the, the shows that we had done with them have lent themselves really well to that storytelling. Um, we did actually uh, have to adapt our shooting style for the Quibi you know, for the vertical and horizontal of the phone. So our filmmakers actually had put tape on the monitor so that they knew it was <laughs> in the frame. But, and, it, and look, we were making our first Quibi shows as Quibi's making their first shows. So we were learning their, you know, their style together. And it was, it was a great experience. We, we are, you know, we've got Streetlights now out where we're doing Varsity Blues and we have a couple other things behind that. We love working with them. They've been great. We hope that everything, you know, we hope it works really well. It'd be great for and us. And do you think, do you see those shows, do you see a completed Quibi season as a potential pilot for something that, you know, something that could go longer term, something in a more traditional format? Is that, because I've heard that that's somewhat of the appeal, but. It could, it could, I, it's not so much, I, ha, I it's not that it couldn't happen that way. I think, for instance, Streetlights isn't a complete story. And when it comes together, that could be sold as a TV movie, for example, Right. Um, there are some ongoing series that, um, you know, that we'll have to see because we haven't done, you know, we haven't actually produced them yet, um, that you might be able to cut together depending on how many seasons they go and sell in that format. So, um, I haven't looked at it so much as a pilot program for, um, the larger scale places as much as an opportunity to have something that you can cut together and see, look, if, if this model works, like the first, you in, the, in a few years, you get it back in its entirety to assemble. And then a period of time after that, you get it back and you can cut it up. So if that's a form that really takes off, you can relicense it in that form. I see. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. I mean, the, the, the business model 
was strong enough that that could all be on the come. The long tail can be an unknown, and if there's gravy there, then fantastic, but the upfront model made it worth doing. And it's cost plus, essentially. Yeah, it's whether that, yeah, it's exactly, it's cost plus. So, so they were very smart, I think, about how they went out about, went out mm -hmm. about it. That's interesting. And now with Paradise Lost, that's also um, Charter, the, you know, the second largest cable operator in the, in the country next to Comcast, started a couple of years ago. They really um, started putting into their distribution deals, you know, a massive uh, distribution pact for cable channels with Viacom led to, there was kind of a line in a press release, oh, and the sides of, you know, the companies have agreed to develop project, you know, original content projects together. When I first started to see that, I thought what, you know, I, I thought that was just, uh, you know, kind of a throwaway thing, but obviously it, it has borne fruit with, with Paramount and Viacom and, and others. Um, how did, tell me, did you, did you work out the agreement to have it premiere on the Spectrum platform and then go to Paramount, the Paramount channel? Was that, was that anticipated as part of the deal or was that something you worked out? No, that was, that was actually done day one. So it wasn't a, it wasn't a process of doing it with Spectrum and then figuring out where to go. It was, we have a couple projects with Spectrum and BET and we have a couple projects right now that are just Spectrum and I don't know if they'll have a second window, but uh, it's, it's a run the gamut. Mm -hmm. gotcha. yeah. um, and was that um, being that that spectrum is sort of regional and not so new? Was that at all hard to attract talent, or the fact that you would be transitioning to no, to a, a more established linear network and undoubtedly yeah. streaming platforms? I think, I think what we were able to explain that it, which uh, I really believe is true, is that it was great because you get a you get a bite at a release where you're not beholden to rising or falling on ratings right? It's all critical. Right. And it's not such a huge market that it's then taking a huge bite out of your, your, you know, your, your bigger op opportunities. So it was sort of like a premiere and a preview and an opportunity to shine, build some buzz, and then you could have your, your next run. Plus there is also the opportunity for international in terms of the business model and the, and the back end upside. So, you know, people were great. And look, it's Catherine Pope who leads the charge there, who, Oh, an NBC veteran a long time. Yeah, NBC, so, NBC and Chernin. Yeah, exactly. I think the, the regional aspect of it really ends up affecting the storytelling more than anything because that those stories that Charter's going to get in on are going to be stories that are appealing to their their demographics. Oh, that makes sense. It is just like from what we've discussed, almost, you know, four different kind of models within four different shows. It, do you enjoy that part of the job? Yeah, I mean, I love, I, 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 this is the job that lets me take all of my jobs and roll it all together from having been an agent to being a buyer to being a producer, it's all together. I, what's interesting is when you have a project and you're lucky enough to have several bidders, it's not apples to apples. It's complete apples to oranges, right? Oh, right. Like none of the deal. You have to, you know, you have to make, you have to make decisions that are multifactorial. You can't necessarily just line them all up and the, one up here wins, you know, it's, it's a super, I find it really, really interesting. And, um, you know, I'm just glad that there are a lot of buyers and we have stuff on 13 different platforms and I'd be thrilled for more <laughs> to come into the picture. That sounds like HBO max is going to join the mix. Oh, we've got, yeah, we've got, um, a lot on HBO max. Actually, we, we were love Sarah Aubrey and Kevin. And so we've got Greece 
coming out. Um, we just hired our writer. That's on the fast track there, which is a series order. We have Station Eleven, which we've already have the first two episodes in the can. We had a hiatus actually already in place because we were going to pick up shooting in the summer. So we'll see now if if COVID affects it at all. That's Hero Mirai uh, directing Patrick Somerville's adaptation of Emily St. John Mandel's novel, which is eerily, I mean, how could we know? It's a post-pandemic world. It's kind of crazy. The first cut came in during the first week of this, and I, I was just, it was just like so surreal. Nicole, you have really have had a really a varied career from being a, you know, a creative executive at FX to an agent at ICM. Um, early uh, and recently uh, manager and producer for anonymous content, which is definitely a purveyor of fine content. They truly do. They were very much ahead of the curve in assembling these very high end, uh, a lot of them limited series projects. Um, what would you say uh, earlier in the start of your career? What, what were some of the either key experiences or jobs or shows that you worked on that kind of allowed you to, to climb the ladder? What would you say was really formative experiences for you as an executive or in, as an industry uh, professional? Wow. Um, well, in this incarnation, I would say at FX, just being a part of, uh, of that company, which obviously so much of that is attributed to John Mangraff and the culture that he creates. And first pilot I ever worked on, the executive for that show was John Langraff, who was the VP at NBC. And so go flash forward all these years and then, you know, we're working together. So um, I think, uh, you know, obviously agenting for 16 years, it's like in your blood, you're never not an agent, but the, the experience of really sitting at like John's knee and watching how he thought about television and the way he cultivated relationships with artists and really pushed them, you know, you never felt like you were ever dictating or writing a show for somebody. And that's a trap you can fall into in development. And what, what I think that we were about there was finding, really nailing what somebody's authentic voice was, what it was they were trying to say, and then pushing them further and supporting them in that. And so I think, you know, every show, go, whether it was You're the Worst with Stephen Falk, which was one of the first things that I bought, to Atlanta, to, you know, um, uh, Snowfall, to, you know, anything that we, and, and that we did over the course of that period of time was you, people are like, wow, those shows, I love those shows. And really you kind of want to say, I, we didn't do anything except not screw them up. We just gave them the room to do great work, you know? And so I try to, as a studio, you have more responsibility to deliver the show, but in the development process, we really try to emulate that in terms of, you know, really making bespoke shows. People ask us what the brand is, and it's sort of like, well, we're a studio, so we're selling what people are buying, but I want the brand to be an amazing experience. And whether a show is the size of Boomerang on BET with Lena Waithe or Jack Ryan, I want the quality to be superior. I want every interaction with every department to feel like they you know, they just love working with us and they trust us to deliver the show that we're making together. So it's, you know, I think that, I think just my time at FX really impacted the way I view TV and also the possibilities. Earlier in your career worked uh, for one of my uh, favorite people that I got to know early on in my career, uh, Aaron Spelling. Uh, you worked at Spelling Television. Tell me something that you remember about or that you learned from your time at Spelling. Well, we would call him the mister. 
I mean, it was, it was this surreal thing to have that be your first job as an executive because it was its own bubble. I mean, you had a butler with white gloves, like walking through the kitchen. Like there was a very specific way that a spelling show was, there was a formula. And like season four, I think of, of 90210, I was in Currents. So those are the shows that are on the air and I was sitting in, in his office watching dailies with him with a, a carpet that was like four inches long and a giant fish tank, if you remember, <laughs> a pinball machine, you know? And, uh, and we were watching and we cut interior, Peach Pit, Jason Priestley, and, uh, you know, I can't remember who, like Luke Perry, and they're talking at the bar, and all of a sudden you hear, stop, stop, turn on the lights, and they stop the projector, because it was a projector projecting the alien, <laughs> <laughs> like, turn on the lights, where are we, where are we, we didn't get an establishing shot, and so it's like, it always had to be like, establishing shot, wide shot, two shot, over the shoulder, over the shoulder, close up, so it was just, you know, it was mathematical, but it yeah, works. If it works, it works. You know, if it works, it works. Well, John Landgraf and Aaron Spelling, those are two good, those are two good chapters in your memoir. And now we, I have Giannopoulos, so honestly, I like win, I win the lottery of best bosses ever. Yeah, some pretty good ones. Nicole, thank you so much for your time and talking with us. I really, I really appreciate you taking your time out of your work from home schedule and, and uh, look forward to seeing what, uh, you know, what you guys come up with and how you, how you guys can, you know, get through the second half of the year. It's, it, I'm sure it's going to be a scramble, but here's hoping that we can all get, get on it soon. Thank you. It's my pleasure. It's good to see you. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. Be sure to tune in next week for another episode of Strictly Business.